Okay, and the story begins, friends. Welcome. All right. Welcome to our new series on prayer, exploring the sitter. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun. What is prayer? Hmm. Right? We call prayer, prayer, tefillah in Hebrew, davening in Yiddish. But what is it? What is the basic obligation of prayer? And before we read the sitter, it, you know, we should know what it is, right? On a very simple level, the mitzvah of prayer, the very basic biblical command of prayer, it's a mitzvah to ask God for things when we need them. Whenever you want, whenever you need it. You feel a need of something, pray to God. You feel you want to praise God, pray to him. Praise him. Have a conversation. That's the very basic um, element of prayer. It wasn't until later, the destruction of the first temple, where Ezra the scribe, by raise of hands, who's familiar with Ezra. Ezra was kind of a late prophet age, right? Towards the, at the destruction, after the destruction of the first temple, he's the one who... Um, basically initiated the building of the second temple and brought all the Jews or many of the Jews back from Babylon. And he established that it's now time that we pray, especially since at that time there were no offerings then. So let's have prayer instead of offerings. And he established a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A text, a text in which we can ask God for our needs. That's the Amida. Everything else is kind of leading up to the Amida. And we'll talk more about that soon. But the Amida is a, a set prayer where we praise God, we thank God, we ask God for our needs. And he established doing it three times a day. But the, the basic biblical command of prayer, ask God for your needs when you need them. What's the reason for this? Well, the more we ask God for our needs, you know, the, for us, the reason is to get our needs met. <laughs> but why would God care? Okay, so the more we ask for our needs, the more we train ourselves to realize how dependent we are on God. When we ask for our needs from God, we're instilling within ourselves the faith that there's nothing beyond his capability. The bigger the need, the bigger the faith, the more faith you're going to have. And prayer is instrumental in developing that faith. That's on a very basic level. Now, again, everything in Torah has multiple layers to it. There's a body and there's a soul. And within the soul, there's multiple layers. A human being is comprised of a body and soul. The Torah is comprised of body and soul. The literal meaning and the more mystical intentions. Prayer is no different. The sitter is no different. There's a soul of prayer. So from the soul prayer paradigm, what is the goal of prayer? What are we trying to accomplish? It's important to know this because, you know, the sitter is a pretty thick book. We spend a lot of time with it. What are we hoping to gain after reading this sitter on a daily basis? And we may not gain this from day one of reading the sitter, maybe not even day two of reading the sitter, but maybe slowly, slowly, we're going to gain something. What are we going to develop? What is our goal? Okay. The goal is twofold. There are two things we're trying to accomplish with the sitter. 
with davening. Number one, to awaken our awareness of the divine soul. Back in Tanya, we described that we have two souls. We have our divine soul, we have our animal soul. We have the part of us that knows intuitively that there's a right and there's a wrong, there's a holy and there's a mundane. There's godly and there's not godly and it wants to connect to God. The reason is because it's a piece of God, right? Part and parts of him. There's the animal soul, the part of us that is more focused on what's comfortable and uncomfortable, not what's right and wrong. Right? How does this benefit me? How does this feel? That may sometimes be evil, may sometimes just be self-centered. And the default perspective that we have, it's nobody's fault. Don't take this personal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I'm correct myself up sometimes. But the default perspective that we have as, as the average human being, if you're not a tzaddik, is the animal soul perspective. And we kind of need to inspire ourselves to become more aware of the divine soul. And prayer is instrumental in that. If you wake up in the morning and you're not conscious of your divine soul, you're conscious of what you want, not of what God wants. Maybe you believe in what God wants, but it's not what you have a feeling toward. You are perfectly normal. You're not a tzaddik. If you struggle to want what God wants, or at least to do what God wants. Okay, fine. So maybe you're a Bainini. Maybe you're the aspiring Bainini PC for Russia. If you're not a tzaddik, then you're just, right? There's one of, one of us regular folk, and we need to pray. We need to awaken our soul. There are certain people, by the way, who are exempt from prayer, halachically. Somebody who is totally immersed in Torah study at every single moment is exempt from Torah study, you're going to rarely see those types of people. We sort of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, who we celebrate on Magba Omer. Right? He was exempt from prayer. Um, on, on a very literal level, on a halachic, in halachic sense, Torah is the priority. Now, if you're not going to learn Torah all the time, then you should pray. But on a deeper sense, what he was going to gain from prayer, oh, he didn't need that. He had that through the Torah. He was always connected to his divine soul. Where do we see this idea, by the way, that prayer is all about awakening an awareness of the divine soul? We've quoted this insight before, but I'm going to quote it again because I absolutely love it. It's actually from this week's Torah portion. The Talmud says that the three daily prayers, the morning prayer, the afternoon prayer, Shachos, Mincha, and the evening prayer, the Mairith, corresponds to the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Talmud then proceeds to quote a scriptural verse indicating how each of those three patriarchs prayed. So Abraham prayed in the morning. And what does the verse say? What is it? The Talmud quotes the verse from this week's Torah portion. Abraham woke up early in the morning. And the Talmud interprets that to mean that he woke up early in the morning to pray. And the question that's asked is, it should have said, and Abraham prayed in the morning. Why did it say he woke up in the morning? The whole essence of prayer, it's all about waking ourselves up, waking our soul up. That's what prayer is there to do. 
The sitter is a guided meditation, and we'll soon see how throughout the uh, following lessons, how the sitter is a guided meditation in which to help us become more soul aware, more soul conscious. You know, we call this in the contemporary uh, field of psychology, we call this self-care, caring about your real self, a deeper self that we're not always aware of. What would indicate that the goal of prayer has been um, accomplished? That it become more soul aware, more soul conscious? What would indicate that it worked? I went through the sitter, I went through the guided meditations and I'm on fire and I feel my soul, I'm more soul conscious. What would be the greatest indication? There's there may be more than one answer, but any thoughts? What would be the greatest indication that I actually am experiencing my soul? Well, possibly that uh, you're no longer thinking about your own needs. You know. Uh, okay, I love you're, it. You're thinking you're, you're not, not about your needs, but about you're not, your. You're not self-aware. You're you're you know. Um, I love it, JFK style, right? I'm not thinking about what I need, but I'm thinking about what I'm needed for. Yeah. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts? I like it. A sense of well-being. Okay, good. Feeling spiritually healthy. Feeling joyous. Good. Any other thoughts? Oh, I just have a quick question. Um, mm -hmm. I was studying Here. this week's Parsha earlier today, and I came across verse that says, Abraham rose early in the morning to the place where he stood before Hashem. This is before he looks down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I was actually thinking, is that the verse that equates to um, Shafri's. Right. So that, that's the verse, right? Correct. It actually says, and Avram woke up in the morning uh, several times in the portion oh, um, with a different ending, but that's one of the times in this week's portion. That is this is out. the one. This one stood out to me for some reason. Yeah, and that, well, that's when he actually prayed to God about the... Uh, to plead on say he stood before Hashem. So, referring so to, Exactly, referring to prayer. So as, as a follow-on to John's question, it made me think about uh, when Hashem uh, told, Abraham, <laughs> told Abraham to take his son Isaac uh, and they went and sojourned toward the mountain. And if, if I recall properly, it said, and Abraham woke up early to do exactly. this, right? Same and so, verse. Oh, it's the same verse. It, well, it's it's the same word. This, the first half of the verse are the same. Oh, okay. Abraham right. woke up in the morning. And, and if word. I recall, if I recall, this was to imply that Abraham doesn't normally like do things early, but in this case, there was urgency about it, and it was uh, something special he needed to do, and therefore he woke up early. Right. So there was, there was he treated this with, you know, if somebody told you to offer your son, your firstborn son, on an altar. <laughs> God told me to do it. Okay, I'll do it. But am I going to do it with urgency? I don't know. <laughs> but Abraham? <laughs> at least a little bit. Right, right. Yeah. 100%, 100%. And that's a message about prayer as well, by the way. Prayer is supposed to be done with, with a sense of urgency. Right. And that, that was kind of my point. It's like, you know, is that saying the same thing about, you know, it's time to get up and, 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 and pray the Shakri service? Exactly. There should be some urgency for that. You know, is ideally, that, that... ideally, we shouldn't be doing things 
uh, unnecessary things before prayer, especially if they can be avoided or done later, unless they're going to assist the prayer. So when you say it should be done with urgency, is that why so many zip through it, daven so fast? Well, it, <laughs> no, the, the reason why is because they, they work for a lit no, <laughs> They're double parked, you know? The, uh, <laughs> but, but, but definitely getting to starting the prayer should be done with, with a sense of urgency. Hmm. With a sense of, you know, not just, okay, I'll get to it. You know, it should be it should be something we we start our days with, which is why bright and early at Chabad we have a minion at nine o'clock because if we did it any later that'd be ridiculous. That is so oh. late already; it's ridiculous. <laughs> is, is <laughs> no, it, no, I'm joking. Is it different on Shabbos? I noticed that there doesn't seem to be the same sense of urgency on Shabbos. Right, and holidays. it's a good question. It's a good question. Well, we, is is that done because uh, you can't start Musaf? Musaf earlier than a, at a certain time. And so to have those two services joined together, so to speak, right. you start chakras a little later. So you well, could, you could do Musaf early. The, um, you have a lot of shuls that, you know, in the Chabad tradition, we daven later, especially on Shabbos. In most uh, mainstream shuls, they daven later on Shabbos at 8.30, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 9 but, o'clock, but but, the reason why we daven late is because in Chabad tradition, we do we take the prep for prayer very seriously, and the prep for prayer is studying, studying Hasidic teaching, studying things about the, like the Tanya, studying things that are going to help us be more soul oriented, more soul focused, so we can meditate on that, and so that the davening can be more meaningful. So there's like this feedback loop that these the prayers davening is supposed to awaken the soul but before that you have to learn about the soul and you have to learn about god and you have to think about that so there's this feedback loop is there the grade, a certain sorry yeah is there a certain time though before which you shouldn't do musaf um musaf can be done early that's not a problem that's not a problem is it, i mean you can't do it before chakras but if you're doing chakras on time you're, you're good for musaf once you do chakras you're good to go for musaf Okay. The, the greatest indication that I become more soul focused through prayer, you know, on a, on a very basic level, I'm inspired. I'm feeling more spiritual. I'm feeling more motivated to engage um, in things that make my soul more comfortable, like studying Torah, doing mitzvahs. But the greatest indication that you're more soul focused, that you're more soul aware, that prayer really works is that when I see somebody else, I experience their soul. And if I don't experience their soul, I at least believe that there's more to them than what I see. Hopefully I experience it too. Similar to what we said in chapter 32 of Tanya, that when we're more soul-focused, we see that in someone else. There's this, like the Baal Shem Tov used to say that our, what we see in someone else is a reflection of our own selves. A tzaddik, a total tzaddik, a totally righteous person sees no negativity within other people. That doesn't mean that they're oblivious to the negativity, but what they see is potential. What they see is, a, a tzaddik is going to see the good. For us regular folk, we're not soul, um, we're not seeing from the soul paradigm necessarily, so that's not right away what we notice within other people. But when we dove and hopefully 
we will see that within other people, or at least we'll be more sensitive to it on some level, um, if not emotionally, um, at least intellectually, consciously. Josh, to come yeah. to that, the 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 sadic not only sees the potential, but helps release the potential, or helps people achieve the potential, because it's all about doing. Well and said. if they just see it, it's boring. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well said. And I, I appreciate you pointing that out. It's not just seeing, you know, you could you could go to someone else and see the soul, but if you could help them realize it and help yeah. them and achieve them, achieve their life goals, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Rabbi Shneer Zalman of the Adi, the author of Netanya. He he loved davening. Davening was very special to him. One of the you know, just just to give historical perspective here, the Baal Shem Tov, let's say a generation before um, Rabbi Shneer Zalman, the Baal Shem Tov started the Hasidic movement. A facet of Judaism that's going to be more soul-focused, right? The Hasidic movement didn't invent anything new to Judaism. It's there to enhance the joy of Judaism, the soul of Judaism. And Rabbi Shneer Zalman was attracted to this deeply. And the reason was because he wanted to learn how to pray. He had a choice. He could go to Mizrich, where the Magid of Mizrich was, the predecessor of the, um, or successor, sorry, of the Baal Shem Tov was. Or he could go to Vilna. In Mizrich, he'll learn how to pray. In Vilna, he'll learn how to study. He said, I know how to study already. He was a brilliant scholar. Remember last week we were talking about the laws of... Um, the halacha of um, of as it relates to astronomy, a very complicated area of study. Right, we the Rambam references it, elaborates on it quite a big big deal. He was teaching that at twelve years old to scholars, and they were shocked. He knew how to study already. He said, "I need to know how to pray." He knew how to pray. He knew how to say the words, but he wanted to learn the meaning of prayer, the depth of prayer. And he came to Mezrich. He came to the Magad of Mezrich, and he was inspired by the Hasidic movement. Eventually, branched off to Chabad starting his own uh, style of internalizing and developing and learning about the soul. So here's the story. His prayers, he loved to pray. And when you would see him pray, you would see a flame flickering. You would see fire. Because he was very, he was on fire. He really was. Not everybody is like that. Everybody has their own style of praying. You know, when you look at videos of the Lubavitcher praying, very quiet, very, but the outside ever, Rabbi Shnei Zalman was on fire. Now imagine what his prayers were like on Yom Kippur. Imagine this for a second. Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, in the middle of Musaf. It's a very unique Musaf. And he's wearing his white kittle, as we do on Yom Kippur. He's wearing his talis, and the minion's going, and he's on fire. He stops. He mysteriously removes his talis, his talit, his prayer shawl, leaves the shul. Nobody knows what happened. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. I don't know if they ended up starting, continuing without him or, or what the deal was, but eventually he came back much, much later. Rabbi, where were you? He said there was a lady on the outskirts of town who had given birth on Yom Kippur. And there was nobody to take care of her. I went to chop firewood for her, to cook food for her, to make sure she had food, to make sure she had warmth, to make sure her needs were being met because she just gave birth. 
and this was a life-threatening situation, you will rarely see a rabbi or, you know, chopping wood on Yom Kippur. That's things we don't, we, that's forbidden work. Cooking on Yom Kippur. Besides that it's a fast day, we can't cook on a, Yom, on a you know, it's the Shabbos of all Shabboses. The situation called for it. This was life-threatening. But what was incredible was his sensitivity. In one of his talks, the Rebbe pointed out that Rabbi Shner Zalman did not interrupt his prayers to help this lady. This is the goal of prayer, to be sensitive to this lady's needs. The whole goal of prayer is to be more soul aware, to be sensitive to the needs of another human being. That's what prayer is all about because I'm becoming more soul focused. And if I'm more soul focused, I could experience the soul within somewhere else, someone else. He didn't interrupt his prayers. That was the purpose of prayer. The greatest indication that I prayed and it worked, it did its job, is that I'm more sensitive to the soul and to the needs of someone else. If not, at least sensitive to my soul's own needs. This is very lofty. This is a very lofty goal, but it, it's something we can experience in, on at least in a bite size in a bite-sized way. Um, is the screen frozen or everybody's here? Everyone's with me, right? We're good, okay. We all, ideally, yeah. and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk more about this, but ideally the inspiration of prayer should carry us throughout the day. It often doesn't. We get inspired and we're in chill and, we, and then we leave and we move on. But at least a little bit, some of it can remain with us throughout the day and infuse our mitzvahs. There's a debate as to whether prayer is a biblical mitzvah or just rabbinic. According to many opinions, it's a, it's a rabbinic origin. It's not a biblical origin, which is fascinating. Something so central to Judaism would not be considered a biblical mitzvah. But Rabbi Shner Zalman of the Adi explains in one of his teachings something fascinating. Listen to this, you're going to love this. The Zohar refers to mitzvahs, the Zohar, one of the earliest works in Kabbalah, refers to mitzvahs as limbs. There's 248 limbs or 248 halachic organs. There's 248 positive mitzvahs. Each mitzvah represents an organ of God, if you will. Because just as an organ or a limb facilitates your soul, a mitzvah facilitates God. So the reason why prayer is not a mitzvah, it's not one of the limbs, because it's the soul of the limb, it's the vitality of the limb. Prayer is the vitality of all of our mitzvahs. The Rebbe writes in Hayom Yom something fascinating. This may sound familiar. For those who study Hayom Yom, we had this a couple of months ago. The Rebbe writes in Hayom Yom that the Initial decline in one's Jewish observance starts with deficiency in prayer. When prayer um, is not taken seriously, all of a sudden we're less sensitive to Yiddishkeit. We're less sensitive to Judaism. And now mitzvah observance feels like a burden. Well, it makes sense. The mitzvahs are the limbs. The limbs need vitality. A body needs a soul. And the soul of Yiddishkeit, the soul of Judaism, 
is davening. The soul of da uh, is prayer. And the reason is because the whole process of the sitter, the structure of the sitter, is there to help us in bite-sized pieces become more aware of the soul. Okay, that's goal number one of prayer. To become more soul-focused, more soul-aware. Okay, any questions, comments, thoughts, controversy? Okay, we're good? Well, we're all in the ark? We're all in the boat here? Some, sometimes when I'm in a, a big minion somewhere outside of Pleasanton, outside of California, um, the, <laughs> the service seems so, especially if I go like to a, a quick Minka service. I was once working in Midtown Manhattan. A couple blocks away, there was Chabad Midtown. And service there was just so like, it was like a routine thing. And I didn't, you, you said the goal or what, what we're supposed to do or the ideal thing after prayer is we become sensitive to everybody's soul. But I, I certainly didn't feel that in that room. It's an excellent question. It really is. It really is. Very often prayer by default has to be something quick, especially if people are working and have places to go. And, and sometimes we're at a crossroads. Do I make this meaningful or do I get it done? If I make it meaningful, I'm not going to get it done. If I get it done, it's not might not be meaningful. Well, then the question is it's very if... it's a very difficult controversy. The, the, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you a quick quick thing um, before your next question, just real quickly. There was an old Hasidic tradition. They used to say, I forgot where this was quoted from, but they used to say that Hasidim would would daven one page at a time. They would daven the whole thing, but one page at a time. They would they would focus on one page at a time and make that meaningful. And the rest, they would daven, you know, you've got to get the job done. But they would take bite-sized, and you could do that, one blessing a day. Try to make that blessing, the Amida, meaningful. Try to think about the, the, the meaning of it. Try to think about the translation of it. So, you know, make it meaningful. It could be in bite-sized pieces, but still pray the whole thing. I had a friend once, he said, he was very into davening. He wrote a whole book on davening. Um, he's very inspired by davening. And he used to say, I didn't have time to dive in today, so I just said words. <laughs> oh. He sensed that that davening was much more than just words, but sometimes we have we might have to do that in bite-sized pieces. Well, that's kind of related to my next question, which is if if you're in a situation where you just really there's no way you can put much meaning into the davening. You know, maybe you're davening in an airport or just some situation where yeah. you just can't have that. Um, kavana that you really should have is is it sometimes better just to skip to davening or um... no it's i mean it depends on what it is but it's usually better to do it here's the thing if you're able to have kavana when you can it's obviously not always practical to the greatest of extents you're at an airport or whatever it is i, I know for myself when i make prayer meaningful to the extent i'm able well, you know, given the time allotment that I've allocated, I've made prayer meaningful on, you know, when it comes to situations when you got to pray quickly, the meaning of that prayer and the inspiration is still there in the back of my mind. Huh. So even though it may come out as lip service and it's quick, it's more like a condensed Kavana. 
Hmm. Is, is that making sense? Um, well, I'm probably just not at the level to be able to do that. Let, let, let me put it this way. I'll give you an example. Let's say we were to have an entire lesson, as we are here, about the Shema, right? A 45-minute lesson about the Shema, which we will eventually. But it's not going to take you 45 minutes to say the Shema. Hmm. So hopefully you'll condense everything we've learned and walk out with one little tidbit that's going to inspire your Shema experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, uh, something from Perkeavos comes to mind. Don't don't make prayer routine perfunctory action. Right, right. And it's it it, it definitely is a challenge. It, it's a challenge because it's reciting the same thing every day, and it's you know. And the reason for that is we're trying to drill in the same message every day. Your your point is well taken, and it it's an excellent question and a, a problem that everybody's going to experience on some level. So and, I'm glad you raised it. And it's not just when I go to a shul. It's even when I'm home in the mornings. A lot of times there's just not a lot of time. I have maybe some meeting and, you know, I got to get done before a certain time. And then I'm rushing like crazy, even though I'm by myself. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, I, I get it. I get it. You know, what, what I would say is if you have one, piece a day that you try to make meaningful it might be a sentence might be a paragraph mm -hmm. or might be a page depending on the time and ability you have like shaman you, know, you, pray, you know you pray the whole thing but every day you could internalize a new piece hmm. which is kind of what we're going to be doing in these classes every every week internalizing and meditating on a new piece of the prayer and learning learning how it's um how it's inte an integral part of this goal of becoming more soul focused now, we keep saying prayer, maybe I'm getting ahead of things, but what's the difference between prayer and, and blessing? Um, it, so in our context, when I say prayer, I mean the general prayer experience. Um, that would include blessings? Yeah, there's specific blessings that are part of the prayer service, part of the davening. Hmm. So for example, the Amida is a long prayer, but it's a comprised of 19 blessings. Is um, but it's a one the book of Tehillim is that prayers? It's a prayer, yeah. It's a, you know, it's prayer is your it's your connection, your communication with God. Hmm. Blessing is the specific uh, medium of communication. We'll talk about the difference between there. There are more specific definitions or, or differences between prayer and blessing. We'll 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 get into that as it comes up. Let's talk about goal number two of prayer of davening what is supposed to happen after reading the sitter so number one being more aware of the divine soul number two bringing more clarity to the animal soul so we're more aware of the part of us that knows intuitively that there's a holy and there's an unholy there's a right there's a wrong there's a true and there's a false because it's connected to God. Now we're more, we're more aware of it. But hopefully that has an impact way beyond. Hopefully the part of us that is comfortable and uncomfortable focuses on our comfort, that focuses on our own needs, our own desires. 
our animal soul. Hopefully that's gotten a little bit more sensitivity and clarity in its relationship with God as well. We say in the Shema prayer, love God with all your heart. With all of your heart. Don't trust translations because it doesn't say with all your heart. It says with all your hearts. It's two bets. It doesn't say with all your heart. It says all your hearts. And the commentary Rashi asks, all your hearts, what are you talking about? I love God with your heart. Why two hearts? The answer is we have the animal soul. We have the divine soul. We have the good inclination or the bad inclination. The left side, the right side. And we have to love God with both. Prayer has to be a holistic experience, which means it not only inspires us spiritually, it has a physical impact on us. What that means in simple English, if I, what would indicate that I've really developed sensitivity with my, within my animal soul? What would, what would indicate that, my, that prayer had a real impact on my animal soul? If I not only have to do mitzvahs, I get to do mitzvahs. Because my animal soul wants it. In other words, if you don't have to fight your animal to do good things, but you can ride your animal and use that passion that it has to get there, this is a very lofty goal. And this may not happen after one day of prayer, but after, as prayer becomes more meaningful, I'll, this is a, there's a sensitivity that we develop within our animal soul. I'll tell you a great story. You may have heard the story from me. I'm going to say it again because I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite stories. There was a Hasidic personality. His name was Reb Gershon Bear. I think he lived in the town of Neville, but I'm not sure. Back in the Shtetl, somewhere in Europe, I don't know. Less than 100 years ago. Reb Gershon Bear had a practice of davening with the Siddur in Hebrew, but he would translate his prayers into Yiddish verbally. So he'd read it in Hebrew and translate line by line into Yiddish. And he asked his rabbi, is this appropriate or is it inappropriate? There's certain segments of prayer where we avoid interruption. As not to ruin the momentum of prayer and for various halachic reasons. There's certain segments where at this point, we're not going to do unnecessary interruption. And his question was, is me translating this from Hebrew to Yiddish an unnecessary interruption? Because it's not part of the sitter. Or... It's inspiring my prayers and it's permitted. Is this okay or not? So his rabbi said, Reb Gershon Bear, I don't understand. You're an accomplished scholar. At the very least, you know Hebrew. You understand the prayers. Why would you translate them into Yiddish? Why do you need to do that in the first place? Reb Gershon Bear responded, yes, I know Hebrew, but my animal soul speaks Yiddish. That was his mother tongue, Yiddish, right? My animal soul speaks Yiddish. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson commented that this is really what prayer is all about. It's that the inspiration, the sole focus that we've developed in step one should hopefully have, leave an impression on the animal soul as well. Which means when I close the book and I leave shul and I go back to my everyday life, I still have some sensitivity and drive toward doing God's will. My animal is no longer fighting me, 
but it's actually um, allowing me to write it, if you will. It's having an, uh, an impact far beyond the animal, the divine soul. All, by the way, that's the ultimate purpose. You know, for your divine soul to get inspired through prayer, why didn't it, it could have just stayed in heaven and it would have been inspired in heaven, uh, closer to God. Its inspiration probably would have been much greater because it's much, you know, the, the, the divine experience is much more vivid there. The ultimate purpose is for it to have an impact on the animal soul, ultimately on the body to do mitzvahs. Like you were saying, Sharon, it's all about action. That's the bottom line. I'll tell you another great story. Rabbi Shiner Zalman of Liadi, the author of Natanya. So it was a, it was Rosh Hashanah and I, apparently that Rosh Hashanah was particularly inspirational. There was something different in the year. Everybody felt it after Rosh Hashanah. This was different, right? The prayers were, there was something different. I can't tell you what it was. I wasn't there. <laughs> but there were, so he asked his son, Rabbi Shinezalman asked his son, what did you pray with on Rosh Hashanah? What carried you through? What got you going? And the son described the various Kabbalistic meditations and his spiritual experience that he went through as he prayed. And that carried him through prayer. He returned the question to his father. What carried you through prayer? What did you daven with? And Rabbi Shiner Zaman of the Adi. The author of the Tanya said. The lectern. The standard. The podium. What are you talking about? So he said the ultimate purpose of prayer. Is not the spiritual experience. Although that may be important. The ultimate goal is the physical impact. Does it motivate action? Has it made your physical self, your body, your animal soul more sensitive to God? That's the ultimate goal of prayer. That's what it's all about. That's what it boils down to. This is what the sitter, this is what the journey of sitter is going to take us through every single morning. And we're going to learn about this piece by piece. Right? If we were going to pray properly, it would take too long. We can't do that. But piece by piece, the sitter, the journey of the sitter is going to take us through it, through here. Prayer is referred to as a ladder with rungs on it. You have a ladder that's on earth. The top reaches heaven and there's rungs to this ladder. And as we advance through the various segments of prayer, we're climbing the ladder. And when we climb this ladder, two things happen. We're becoming more soul-focused. And hopefully, this is leaving a meaningful impression on the animal soul. And we'll describe how as we go through the prayers. Let me put it this way. Prayer starts with the most basic thank you, Moda'ani. Thank you, God. Right? Let's take a look inside, actually. If you have your sitter with you, if you don't, it's not the end of the world. We won't judge. No, okay. um, but if you can open up to page five. The very first thing we do as part of prayer, it's the first thing we say when we open our eyes. And we're going to talk more about, elaborate more on this next week. We say, Moda Ani, thank you, God. Moda means 
I'm not only thanking God, I'm all the word modet. Tra again, translations are, are a little, not just dangerous, but limiting. Because in Hebrew, one word can have multiple translations and you can't do that in the English, just not the way it is. So in the translation here, they say, I offer thanks to you. And that's, that's correct. But modet can also mean I, I'm having trouble finding the word. Help me out here. I submit, but working for a better word than submit. I concede. I concede to you, God, that you are the Emmet, you are the truth. So like Your ways surrender? Surrender, like a surrender. Yeah, similar idea. I don't necessarily understand you yet, God. I don't necessarily experience you. I don't necessarily get this on an experiential level, but I'm going to concede. I'm going to surrender. I just woke up. I just got out of bed. You can't expect too much um, understanding or feeling or passion. But at least I'm going to be mode. I'm going to concede. As we journey through prayer, through the washing of the hands, and ultimately through the verses of praise, the blessings of the Shema, the Shema itself, the Amida, the confessional prayers thereafter. Ultimately, we're as we progress through prayer, we're internalizing this on a experiential, intellectual, and emotional level more and more and more until we get to the end of prayer. Go to page 82, please. The very last line of prayer. The very last line of prayer on page 82. It's the middle of the page, smack in the middle. See where it says the daily portion of Tehillim? It's right on top of it. The line of let's read it in English. Indeed, the righteous will extol your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. The presence of God is not something we just concede to. At the end of prayer, by the time we've gotten to page 82, it's something we dwell with. It's something we've internalized on a more permanent level, on a more emotional level, on a more intellectual level, on a more conscious level. And hopefully after prayer on a more behavioral level. How do we get from Moda'ani, a general, I'm just surrendering to you, to Ach Tzadikim, where I'm dwelling with God's presence, experiencing it. That's through the entire middle of page 5 to 82. And as we journey through the sitter, we'll hopefully develop, um, develop this passion. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.